My name is Thomas, and I'm going to tell you a story. Before we get started, note that this is episode 5, so if you're just joining us, I'd recommend pausing here and starting from the beginning. Also, since this is a new story set in a fantastical land, it may not be the best experience to multitask while you listen. We're recording in our respective homes, safely distanced as the world finds its way out of a pandemic. There is no music, and there are no sound effects. But, if you like, you can imagine that we are alone, you and I, in a pale desert, a merciless tundra, with only the occasional beat of hooves to disturb that great, vast, emptiness. This is the Oa Oliger. Nariset jolts awake, and before even realizing what it is that roused them, they are pulling on their boots, lowering themselves to the stone-flagged floor of the great hall, and half running, half skipping over their wounded legs to the courtyard. Golgak? Golgak! Gemogen and Alt are not far behind them, running past the great marble plinth to the stables. Alt carries his journal in one hand, his fingers splashed with ink. What's happened? Golgak is gone! Katu scans the supply cart, while Gemogen turns slowly in a circle, her eyes moving from person to person. I don't think we've been robbed. Where's Yochi? This is my fault. The others turn to look at the cartographer. Yochi asked me to perform a purification by the chromament, to try and cast out the spirit that haunts him. You must be mad to do something like that without any of us knowing? What happened? Alt searches for words. It was something. Some experience, but he wouldn't speak of it. I fell down in my duty. A purification is meant to be concluded with a kind of discussion, talking through the experience with the priest. But I didn't insist, and Yoshi took his leave. Alt looks down in shame. I wish I knew more of what he saw. But whatever it was... It must have driven him to flee. I just don't know why. Gemogen's brow furrows. Enough from you. Enough! I can respect the desire for anonymity, but we're far past that now. A humble mapmaker with a keen curiosity. That is how the Imperator of Whisper City introduced you. But now we learn that a trained minister in the service of Deos has accompanied us to the most ancient sanctuary of a rival pantheon? Why? After a pause, Alt laughs humorlessly. (laughs) Well, wherever he is, I hope Yochi feels his words take weight. He opens his journal and carefully withdraws something pressed between the first pages. He looks at it for a long moment, then holds aloft the tattered shred of vellum. I have a page. One of Logorazasanian's. He wrote that after the Field of Stones, when the first history of Ander was to be destroyed, it was instead smuggled to... to the God's Vale in the North, to be left in the care of a being named Gadazar. Gemogen's eyes are wide. She looks from the page to Alt, 
her hand subconsciously moving to the case at her hip that contains her matching fragments. Alt continues. The page has been passed down through generations, and many princes before me have gone questing for this god's veil. I'm sorry, did you say princes before you? Alt grimaces. Unhappily, he says. I'm afraid. Yes. I'm... He kneads his forehead as if the words bring him physical pain. I am Altansetzeg. Ninth of the name. Prince of Andor and... In theory... Heir to the throne in Daishao. Yochi rides Golgyuk at a brisk pace through the dark wood, illuminating their way by torchlight. When they break from the trees, it's as though the pre-dawn light has drained the world of color. A breeze passes through the poison grass like a wave, and indeed, there is something very like an ocean about it, earning its epithet, the Sea of Turamkar. Yochi kicks his heels in the stirrups, and Golgak breaks into a gallop, heading northeast across the gentle surf of grassland. The rising sun breathes color back into the caldera. They leave behind the Torum car, and Yochi slows Golgak to a canter. Yochi is not an experienced rider. He can feel his heart beating in his ass and tries not to think of the bruises he'll have later. Where? He wonders. Where is he going? The enormity of his helplessness falls upon him again like a cloud, and he rides Golgak in a haze of misery for some time, barely aware of his surroundings, barely aware of the pain in his body. The barren rock and earth give way to smaller and smaller stones, before dissolving into tiny pebbles that ring a crystal blue lake which appears like a mirage before them in the cool morning light. Yochi falls off of Golgyuk and into the green and gray sand. He splashes his face with water, the cold droplets bringing much-needed relief as they fall against his sweat-drenched skin. He looks up at the cloud-scattered sky above the caldera and breathes deep. A dark thunderhead spirals into the heavens from the west. Would it bring rain? Yochi cups his hands and pulls a draft of water to his lips. Oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. <coughs> I'd worry, sir. Yochi chokes and falls backwards, the water splashing from his hands to wet the hem of his caftan. I thought you had the look of a Barashi. The voice was feminine, and she spoke with a far westerner's accent, each sentence bent to an unfamiliar melody. Yochi looks around in a panic. Was this some sort of late effect of the chromament? <laughs> in the lake, Oramin. Slowly, Yochi leans forward again and crawls his way to the edge of the water. He blinks in amazement. For the first time, he notices that his face is not reflected. Indeed, the sky doesn't seem to be the sky overhead at all. It's gray and more overcast. After a moment... A pale woman's face bobs into view, as if she were bent over the lake in Yochi's place. Who are you? You're the first man I've seen at the lake. She is ivory-skinned like Gemogen, but with a narrower face, dark hair, 
and dark shadows beneath her eyes and cheekbones. I'm Yochi. What is this? Who are you? The woman places her hands on the edges of the reflection. This disorients Yochi even further, until he sees the gray stone rim which circles the woman's face. Where are you? He adds. I am Cleo ben Izaris, anointed warrior of the stars, which lately means I spend a lot of time looking into this basin. Izaris is an aspect of Deos. How is it possible for a knight of the church to be moonlighting as a lake lady in the Vale of Ways? And as for where, Cleo continues, a strand of hair falling from behind her ear towards Yochi as she looks away. I am in the great city of Dol Monarch, though great city is not exactly how I describe it these days. Dol Monarch? You're in Ellis? Not just a lady in the lake, then, but a lady speaking from a perfectly civilized place in a perfectly civilized nation, the mountain country saddled between Orem and Palus. Why, Gemogen and Katu no doubt passed through there only a few months prior. Yochi is seized with purpose. This is... This can't be just madness or, or random happenstance. You must have something we need. You must be able to help us somehow. Help me. Help you? Cleo narrows her eyes at Yochi. Yochi stammers as he searches for words. There is something to this. Some, some key, some clue, some thing. There is no such thing as a miracle without meaning. Cleo looks amused, which only frustrates Yochi. He feels as if he is on the brink of some revelation that just barely eludes him. He squeezes sand between his fingers and leans forward. How is this possible? I mean, how does it work? There's a pool in Dull Monarch that looks through the lake? Not a pool, a basin, Cleo corrects him. I have to say, I thought it was a glorified birdbath until a few days ago. Can you believe no one's been allowed to touch this thing for a thousand years or whatever? And you know how Olgen can be about their Tamaris de Kasha. Yochi doesn't understand these words, but it doesn't matter, because he's actually heard of this. You're at the Basin of Stars at Dull Monarch. It always reflects the night sky, even in the day, yes? Cleo tucks the strand of hair back into place. Ah, Yochi likes stories. But of course, the truth is a bit more complicated than that. And I am a genius, so I figured out how to navigate the damn thing. Yochi frowns. Navigate? Navigate, Cleo nods. It's on a sort of a schedule by default, but I finally convinced them to let me try it in manual. And now you can... Yochi exhales in realization. You can control where you're looking. Change where you can see and hear things. Cleo grins. Oh, it's more than sound and light. Here, lean down close to me. Yochi does as she says, leaning down till his face is just a few inches from the surface of the lake, staring into Cleo's dark, mischievous eyes. Cleo wrinkles her nose. Her face pulls away, and with a splash, a pale hand erupts from the water and slaps Yochi in the face. Dawn creeps into the sky above the castle as the rest of the party processes what they have learned. Well, a royal in our midst. Tummins and Bugbull, no. Nerisset curses in Thassa, and Katu shakes his head. So what is this to you? 
What value does divine mystery hold for a prince? Alt spits on the ground. <laughs> a hunted prince. How many of you have been targeted for assassination since birth? Gemogen's eyes linger on the page of vellum in Alt's hand. Now at last I see something of the role you are meant to play here. I would that we could examine all this in full time. But we've got to go after Yochi. He's not safe out there on his own. We've just reached the castle, and you're going to leave after a long nap to chase the wagon boy? He saved my life in Whisper City. You've said that before. I never quite understood. He saved your life, so you dragged him on a dangerous quest into the frozen wastes of the North? She gave him a chance at real honor, priest. Neriset glances at Alt before returning their gaze to Katu. It's not something Olgin would understand. I am no more pleased than you at the prince's indiscretion. But we can't just abandon the mission now. Nazu's tour on the honor of my blood, I owe Baronves Yochi a life debt. And until that debt is paid, my soul is bound to his. So, what are you going to do? Gemogen looks into the dark woods. She stares off for some time, in silence, while the others look at her, awaiting her command. Katu glances at Alt, and Alt shrugs. Finally, she returns to them, a decision made. Alton Setseg and I will go after Yochi. The two of us have much to discuss, in any case. She looks at Katu. You'll stay with Nariset and explore the castle. See if you can find the bell tower. I'd wager it's the tallest of the three. There are four of us and four oxen. Nariset objects, but Gemogen shakes her head. We'll travel faster on foot, and I'll be better able to track Golgyuk. I'm sorry. You'd only slow us down. A tendon in Nariset's jaw flexes, and they open their mouth to protest. But no words escape. Gemogen places a hand on Nariset's shoulder. In any case, I'm trusting you and Katu to discover what you can here. Splitting us further seems a very poor idea, Gemogen. Besides, I'm supposed to be accompanying you on this mission, representing the Temple Venerate. Gemogen bristles. You are representing the Temple Venerate perfectly. I never did meet a pale priest with common sense. Stay and explore so that the time will not be wasted. When we find Yochi, we'll return for you and the oxen. You won't be left behind. And what of the living pyre? If it should return? Gemogen snarls in exasperation. She unfastens the eye of Bakyashil from around her neck and tosses it to Katu. Take it. If you have so little faith in your own symbols, Alton Setseg and I are better equipped to evade it. The others look at each other again, stealing themselves. All right, then, Nariset murmurs. Gemogen stares off over the drawbridge again and into the sparse forest. After a moment, she says simply, I wonder, what fear could you not better face with us? Gemogen and Alt gather their supplies and set out within the hour. Katu and Nariset watch them go in silence. Katu looks at Nariset and wonders if they wonder as he does, if this is the last they will see of them. The priest and the outrider re-enter the castle and make their way through the empty chambers to the stairs that would, most likely, lead them to the highest tower. And there are many many stairs. Before long, Katu has slung Nariset's arm over his shoulder, and the two of them make their way up like a single, clumsy, three-legged organism. 
They pass ornate but empty hallways in the first levels and continue into a narrower, squared spiral. Finally, Katu heaves Nariset up the last step and exhales in defeat. They find themselves in another featureless room, but for a ladder that ascends into the belfry. And here's as far as I'll come. Nariset slides down the wall into a seated position, breathing hard. Katu crawls up the ladder. As he raises his head above the wooden platform, he gasps and shields his eyes. Sunlight glances off the great golden bell with such intensity it blinds him for a moment. He averts his gaze, clambers up the last few rungs, and crouches on the floor of the belfry. What do you see? Well, there's a bell for starters. Katu squints at the bell, shading his eyes with the sleeve of his tunic. The bell has a wide cylindrical body that divides into eight pointed leaves, each splayed out at the base. It's engraved all over with symbols and pictograms, only some of which are familiar. The bell was forged from eight segments, one for each of the lost gods. He circles the bell slowly. There is the symbol of Ulu, a staff flanked by circles. There the opposing arrows of Ano, the above and below. Katu frowns. This is an unusual positioning. Typically, Ara is between Ono and Ulu. I am long estranged from my own faith, Katu. I certainly do not know the lost gods' Selic names. Katu sniffs. Sorry, Anrana is traditionally placed between Ulgur and Dura. He pauses. Ara's leaf is next, a shattering star of creation carved beautifully into the shining metal but the following segment is utterly blackened, as if it and it alone had been smothered with charcoal from a monstrous fire. Well, I trust you still remember the tale of the cataclysm, Nariset, Katu says softly. On the floor below, Nariset inhales deeply. Ker'uchar lays out humanity's sins and condemns creation. His siblings are driven mad. Yabashmatir and Karash Puchar run him through with spears. Bakyashil swears to flood the world, but Ishkar wants to burn it, and Anrana sheds three tears before sweeping them all into her arms and passing into the infinite wild, never to return. Katu nods. Before Idris met is slain, sorry, Ker Uchar, Ulgur gives him a new name. Eowa Mordras, Betrayer of creation, the impaled god of discord. He runs his fingers over the charred segment of the bell. In rough hammer strokes, whatever was once engraved there has been pounded away, and in its place a great X scars the surface, as if struck with two fearsome blows from a massive chisel crossed spears, and finally, the graven outline of an upside-down torso hanging between them. Eowa Mordras, betrayer of creation, the impaled god. Yochi presses a hand to his face, while Cleo breaks into peals of laughter. You're insane, Yochi says, which only makes Cleo laugh harder. 
Yochi feels a heat rise in his cheeks. Part of him wants to curse Cleo or walk away, but there was too much at stake. He asks the next most obvious question. Can I come through to you? Cleo shakes her head. I'm afraid not. The basin's only about ten inches wide. She composes herself. Anyway, I'm much more interested in what you're doing by the lake. There's a group of us here, exploring this caldera. Gimogen calls it the Vale Oase. Cleo looks blank. You haven't heard of it? I'm not well read. Don't love books. And Isaurus in her wisdom blessed me with the true sight, not with the true history of the universe, thank goodness. And speaking of the true sight, she leans forward. I'm not falling for that again. Cleo frowns. There's a darkness to you. I see it clearly. A shadow that isn't yours. Yochi almost laughs. <laughs> yes, I'm cursed, as it turns out. Cleo doesn't laugh or say anything. She looks at him hard until Yochi feels bashful. Then she says, No, that's not it. She pulls away and looks off behind her, that same lock of hair falling from behind her ear again. What do you mean, that's not it? I'm getting the evil eye from my supervisor. Cleo, what do you mean? Cleo looks back at him. I mean, I've seen curses. They're like tumors, malignant growths. But you... She shakes her head. It's like there's someone else with you. She peers at him again. After a moment, she says, Gatazar has an even greater gift for sight than I do. And he knows the caldera. Seek him out at the forge and... He might be able to help. She grimaces. That is, if he doesn't kill you. Yochi shakes his head. Gadazar, you can see into the forge? I is there a basin there too? Cleo nods. A larger one than mine, at any rate. What about the castle? Castle? I'm not sure. There is a courtyard of some kind with gold-spindled railings. That's it? His mind is racing. There's something I need you to do. Cleo raises her eyebrows. Oh, what's that? In the courtyard, yell for Katu. He's a priest, knowledgeable about these types of things. If you tell him about the water, he'll know what to make of this. Cleo glances away again, then says, I'm afraid the Olgen are about to wrest me away from my work. Will you do it? I'll try. Cleo disappears for a moment, and the basin reflects only the strange gray sky over Ellis. Yochi slowly gets to his feet. His legs are on fire. Yochi! Cleo appears again in the lake. What is it? Tell Gadazar that Cleo sent you, if you have the chance. Yochi narrows his eyes. Who is Gadazar? I thought you said I was the first man you'd seen here. Oh, Gadazar isn't a man, Cleo shakes her head seriously. He's a dragon. Alt follows Gemogen through the woods, 
their torches burning brightly in the early morning forest dim. Gemogen takes a knee and traces her fingers over the needle-strewn ground, feeling for the depression of a hoof. Not worried your mission has gone a bit crooked. My mission is vast in scope. I did not expect an easy path. She rises to her feet and presses forward, leaping over a fallen trunk and bounding onward. And what about you, Prince of Andor? What will you do with the first history if you find it? The first history is a relic sacred to the people of Andor, both north and south. He who possesses it, their divine right would be indisputable. Gemogen pauses and looks back at Alt. You think that with the first history, you can reunite Andor, end the 400-year war? It is all I could hope to accomplish. Gemogen smiles thinly. I like you. We have grand ambitions in common. She turns and stares ahead. Alt steps to her side and follows her gaze. The trees are thinning out. Alt nods. He looks at Gemogen, her eyes sharp and focused. He frowns and turns his face forward again. The shadows that cling to the trees are still dark as night, even as the trunks have begun to brighten in the burgeoning sunlight. What are you looking at? Alt asks. Nothing. Gemogen says. We're going the right way. Alt nods slowly. With a breath, he presses on. Gemogen stares past him. She looks at the pale figure standing just between the trees ahead. A splash of red about his jowls. Alt! Gemogen says suddenly. He stops and turns, his face in shadow. The rings in his hair glint and sway in the uneven light. He stands maybe a dozen feet from the ghastly figment behind him. What is it? I see it. I see the red-mouthed man. This was Episode 5 of the Oa Oliger and of Season 2 of Thomas Tells a Story. The show is written and created by myself, Thomas Constantine Moore, and our theme music is by Joe Mendick. Yochi is voiced by Heron Atkins, Gemogen by Molly Griggs, Katu by Jeffrey Omura, Nariset by Alexis Floyd, and the cartographer by Heath Saunders. Thank you for listening. This story will continue in the next movie. Hey there, it's me again. If you love this show and want to keep it going, one of the best things you can do is spread the word and tell your friends. You can also follow us on Twitter at TTAS Podcast or join the community on Reddit at r slash Thomas Tells. But most importantly, this season, you actually get to influence the events of the story. After episode four, you voted for Yochi to head to the Lake of Spells and to leave a clue for Katu. 
Yoshi meets Cleo in the reflection of the Lake of Spells and asks her to tell Katu about the transporting power of the water. You also voted for Gemogen to order Katu to stay with Nariset, and the two of them shared the story of the Cataclysm with each other when they discovered the Belfry. There are three new choices to be made after episode five, so go to our website at thomastellsastory.com next right now and vote on what you want to see happen in episode six. And don't forget, lives may hang in the balance.